And welcome to Relative Decorations, our Christmas special of this Doctor Who podcast. We have decked the halls in time-washed tinsel. I'm the ghost of episodes past, Felicia, and the ghost of episodes present is... I'm Renner. <laughs> and together for, 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 we... For our listeners' benefit, I hadn't previously heard this intro. <laughs> ah, getting, getting the size in early. Uh and uh, we're on a voyage through the past and present of Doctor Who to look forward to the Doctor Who's yet to come. This week, we are looking at Christmas specials, because whilst they've been a big part of modern contemporary Doctor Who, they don't exist in the classic series except in one unique case. And that's what we're going to talk about today, first of all, uh, which is the fairly unique episode... The Feast of Stephen, which is takes place as part of da- the Daleks Master Plan serial. It's very odd in that it is right in the middle of this serial, but it does not have anything to do with that serial. They just sort of pause the story to do some Christmas silliness and then just press play on the story again. It's like if in modern Who, I'm just trying to make a really dramatic two-parter, um, I think it's like if there had been a, a comedy one-off between Utopia and Last of the Time I, I think I, It's funny because literally, no, Last of the Time Lords, Last of the Time Lords is the last one. But yes, you know, I, that's the exact example I was going to think about. It's as if you had Utopia, comedy Christmas episode, then the two-parter. And it, it, it is about that in Congress. I can actually imagine, um, I can imagine a sort of comedy story about stranded on earth without the tardis at christmas and like, everybody's complaining about saxon's britain and how christmas is not what it used to be and things and oh yeah yeah for sure i think uh in a universe where utopia is the season finale and he does like a couple of specials yeah to cover the same ground as the do you know what i mean that like, actually but that's not what this one's about so to so what happens in the feast of season actually we can go through this very quickly they land in 1960s england there is a farce involving some policemen they get back in the TARDIS. Um, they then go to a, a 1920s film studio. There were a couple of sequences involving like various kind of silent film pastiches. Then they all go back in the, tar- the TARDIS. They all have a Christmas toast, and the Doctor turns the camera, wishes everyone a Merry Christmas. Yeah, it, it doesn't have much. It doesn't have a plot. It, yeah, it's I'm, a I'm, series of sketches. It, it's like a, a sort of Doctor Who sketch show. Right, exactly. And. Um, we should say that this episode doesn't exist in a its original form. It's one right. of the lost. It's one of the lost episodes, and actually, the reason it is one of the lost episodes is because of its kind of slightly weird nature. I think. Yes, because they basically didn't think that they could sell this one into syndication. So the Daleks' master plan was sold into syndication, but without the Feast of Stephen included. Which kind of speaks to how completely irrelevant it is to the Daleks' master plan. So, but because it didn't get sold. There are no tapes to find. It will almost certainly never be. Of, of of every missing episode, this is the one that we can say almost definitively 
just isn't out there. Yeah, it's just not, you know, it's, it's not being secretly sold on auction. It's not in a secret millionaire's vault. It's not literally in space. It's for what, whatever your theories are, where any other missing episode might be. It doesn't apply to the Feast of Stephen. If, if we will ever see it again, it will be the next time Doctor Who is cancelled, Ian Levine will reveal he has held it as insurance in a secret <laughs> vault below Mount Everest. So, so the so the missing because it's only a twenty five minute episode. It doesn't have a plot. So, why why are we talking about it? And one of the reasons is that we are transitioning into our second run of episodes, and the the deeper you go into classic Who, very quickly you cannot watch the Patrick Troughton era without running into missing episodes. And a 25-minute brief, fairly plotless primer seemed kind of a good way to introduce you to the concept of an episode with no visuals. If you, I should say, if you're not previously aware, a bunch of Doctor Who episodes got lost for essentially production reasons that we won't really go into, but thank goodness people had got audio recordings of them. This is a lovely, like, fan fandom thing even back then that people would tape recorder the sound of the stories off the tv to keep them because vhs didn't exist and in fact audio cassette home recording had only existed for less than a year when this started happening so we came so close to these things being lost forever yeah, but as you can also you can imagine, these audio home recording gets brand new, and some nerds decide, oh, there's this new science fiction show. The more fandom changes, the more it stays the it's same. The same, exactly. Um, so, and and people have done a bunch of tidying up, and they cut to narration, which is actually quite, really really quite good, which sort of fills in the gaps. Uh, it's it's very good. I actually tried originally to watch a very bad animated recon of it, and actually I just couldn't I couldn't focus on it. It was that bad. And actually, just relaxing into it and listening to it as an audio experience was was fine. The recons are a very mixed bag because you know some of them were made in the early nineties, and you can imagine the technology with which to make a recon has changed a lot over the years. Right. We're, we're in an exciting time now where I have seen screen tests of people using deep fake technology to reconstruct uh, a scene oh, yeah. of a Patrick oh, Troughton yeah. story. I, I sort of feel like that kind of thing is coming. So that was one of the interesting reasons to do this little diversion about the Feast of Stephen was as a kind of missing episode primer before I hit Renner with the invasion in a couple of weeks. Was it ever repeated? Or was it, lit was it literally only broadcast once? The Feast of Stephen was never repeated for the same reason that it wasn't sold into syndication, I think. It's just fascinating because like, th there really can't actually be that many people who actually watched it. Yeah, uh, it's true. It, it's, it may be like the actual original episode, maybe the least seen episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, I just have no picture. It, it, it's just it's just interesting in that sense because I just have no picture of what the sets look like in it, and different people have a different picture. Especially when they go to Hollywood, right, and exactly. the sets made to look like sets. Right, exactly. More on that in a little in a little moment, actually, because there are contemporary comments about that aspect. Well, the moment we do have is in in some telesnap form, which actually led you to believe that it existed in video form. I think I thought I'd seen it, but I must have been remembering. And I actually thought it did. I I thought I had seen the famous scene in motion, but it doesn't exist in motion. I must have just been merging a telesnap with an adventure in space and time. And the famous scene, just to be clear, is, is that at the very end, the Doctor turns directly to the camera and says, a happy Christmas to all of you at home. Here's a toast, a happy Christmas to all of us. <laughs> Same to you, Doctor. <laughs> Incidentally, a happy Christmas to all of you at home. 
So, um, I don't think there's much to say about the episode. I mean, let me tell you, tell you what my thoughts were. So, obviously, yeah. this is the uh, second time I've seen William Hartnell. Yeah. So, I don't think I can say more, much more about him. Um, it was an okay. You know, I, I, I don't think I could have taken a full serial of it, but as a 25-minute experience, it was fine. The Gunfighters is probably as close as you get to a full serial of this, and The Gunfighters is a very divisive episode. I find it nearly unbearable. So you've actually managed to, or rather you, you reached out and someone has provided you with some information on what audiences thought of it at the time. And I think actually that's more interesting. Yeah, so this is, I think, I was wondering, because like, like I say, I was comparing it to the modern era and how, you know, way back in 1965, they were like, let's do a Christmas special. And then it took literally 40 years, exactly 40 years, for the next Doctor Who Christmas special to come along. Of course, it was exactly 40 years, wasn't it? Because, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it was really successful. And it spawned a run of them. And, okay, Chibnall has now moved away because that well maybe is running dry now. But the Doctor Who Christmas special became an institution. It did. It did. Um, in fact, just, just last night, there was a big Twitter watch-along of The Runaway Bride with Russell T. Davis and Catherine Tate commenting on it. But clearly, in the 60s, they did it once and then they never touched it again. And I was thinking, is that is that because the production team changed and there wasn't the appetite for it? Is it because of the fact that it couldn't be sold into syndication? Or was it just not popular? So I went trying to find the audience reaction surveys from the time. And I found a mention of it in the discontinuity guide. So I knew that there had been a survey about this episode. Couldn't find it. Assumed it hadn't been digitised. Posted on Gallifrey Base, just on the off chance. And Andrew Pixley, who is a name that people may have run across because, you know, if you've ever watched the DVDs, read Doctor Who magazines or anything, you might, you might have come across his name. He is one of the people who kind of laid the groundwork for Who historiography. Uh, a lot of the sort of history of Who that we have these days and the depth of research that's been done about it, he led the way. And he Super. happened to reply to me saying, <sighs> oh, I've got a few minutes this morning. Somebody pointed this out to me because The Feast of Stephen is one of my favourite episodes. Here you go. And gave me the full audience reaction survey to The Feast of Stephen. So... Huge thanks to Andrew Pixley. Yeah, amazing this. Not least because these comments are very entertaining. Right, so do you want to just do, do you want to just go ahead and share them? Yeah. So, well, first of all, as to the question of was it less popular than other episodes? Yes, dramatically yes. This was not a liked episode. I mean, presumably less people were watching just because it was Christmas, but also the people who did watch it didn't like it. It got a reaction index of 38 um, which sort of doesn't mean a lot in a vacuum, but the average was 53. I think that's out of 100, so that's a big drop. Uh, it did get a bigger audience share than ITV, so there you go. But of course, that was before they knew what they were about to watch. Right, exactly. One of the worst programmes I have seen, and definitely not Christmas material, commented a laboratory assistant, one of a large number of viewers, in fact close on half the sample audience, who had no good word for this Christmas Day edition of Doctor Who. <laughs> I, I like that spicy Doctor Who opinions are also not a new thing. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump around a bit. A number of viewers did not think that the acting did anything to redeem their impression of a terrible script. The chase scene, for example, 
was referred to as clumsy, slow, and lacking in precision. The only amusing aspect, according to a housewife, being the sight of William Hartnell, still unruffled despite the noise of the studio, which was frightful. Uh, I, we, we were just saying it's a shame that we can't see what the scenery looks like anymore, uh, but apparently we're not missing much. Settings and scenery were nothing exceptional either, it was sometimes said. Too much studio backcloth and not enough film work. Some viewers, however, thought that the mise-en-scene depicted what was required, and there was some praise for the camera work as alert and on the mark, even in the general chaos of the Hollywood sequence. <laughs> I mean, that general chaos does very much come across in the... Yes, uh... Uh, it, it is a chaos. I mean, it is intentionally chaotic because it's sort of being screwball, but you can imagine, especially with the kind of low-resolution picture, slightly reverby 60s sound. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it, it probably just looked like a mess on screen. Yeah, yeah, I can... I, I... And they weren't broadcasting live, but they must have been broadcasting pretty... Yeah, they basically never did a retake. Right. So, yeah. But there, but there were. There was a minority who liked it. About one out of every five supplying evidence really enjoyed watching what happened when the crew of TARDIS deserted space travel for some earthly adventures. These involved a brush with the police. I thought Doctor Who and Go had joined Zed cars at the beginning of the story and much further tribulation when TARDIS materialised, circa 1919 apparently, in a Hollywood film studio with a Keystone Cops feature at Shooting Point. This all made very good fun, the few enthusiasts thought, and was in keeping with the festive season. A further contingent allowed that this episode made a change from the terrors of outer space, Better for Christmas, not so frightening. But nevertheless, they went on to say that its confusing construction made it difficult to get the hang of what was going on, and that for part of the time anyway, the script was sheerly ridiculous. The largest proportion of viewees evidently considered it ludicrous from beginning to end, and intolerably noisy into the bargain. It was suggested here that this was very much a stopgap piece of writing, artificially contrived to have a Christmas content. I mean, I mean, they are not wrong. Or, as a joiner put it, apart from the noise, confusion, and utter stupidity of the whole thing, I don't think it was written. It just happened. The more fandom changes, the more, more it stays the same. The same. <laughs> I, I just. You know, is this the official first worst episode of Doctor Who ever? So, yeah, um, everybody hated it, basically. Yeah, in fairness, they really do have its number. Like, those are fair criticisms. Even if you like yeah. it, you know. I think the thing that... I can see why you would like it, but, like, they absolutely are correct that this episode just is a completely useless piece of nonsense. Um, even if you like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you can't make... I find it quite... I, I find it... Charming. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it's fine. It's just like it, 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 it's it's just ephemeral. Uh, oh, we should say also, uh, Charlie Chaplin and Bing Crosby uh, appear in it very briefly. So there is a really good review from uh, the 2015 Christmas Doctor Who magazine by Gary Gillett of this episode. 
of this episode right. where he suggests that there is more thought put into it than may be apparent. Uh-huh. And actually, I find his argument really interesting. Because he, he's it's like ha- having half of it set in a police station and then going to an old Hollywood studio may seem like like peculiar choices of setting for a Christmas edition of a show. Like we're going to do Christmas Doctor Who. Why? Why did they pick that? But then he points out the Christmas night schedule on BBC that night. Doctor Who was broadcast at six forty-five p.m. Earlier in the afternoon, BBC One viewers enjoyed an episode of warm-hearted police drama Dixon of Doc Green. Over on BBC Two at 6.30pm, when Comedy Was King consisted of a compilation of clips from the greats of silent cinema. The big Christmas Day movie on BBC One, an hour after Doctor Who, was Road to Bali, starring Bing Crosby. So, um... Oh, that's really interesting. Gary Gillard says that this is essentially a mashup of everything you would expect to see on a BBC sort of Christmas schedule. Right, right. So uh, in in a way that I think, I think it's probably difficult for us to appreciate now. And that, I mean, that there was that reference to it seemed like an episode of Zed Cars, so right. like, the audience did pick up on that. Yeah, but I think it's hard for us to see because we, we're used yeah, to a very yeah. different... Christmas means something very different now in terms of just, just the broadcasting schedule, if nothing else. Right, yeah. Gillard says that it's more akin to, say, the children in need sketches or dimensions in time in what it was doing. Yes, I think that's a really apposite point. And it probably has it has about the amount of same amount of story content as Dimensions in Time. In, in fact, actually Dimensions in Time has more plot. Yes. Like if Dimensions in Time just didn't didn't feature EastEnders actual characters, but merely like clear reference yeah, characters. Yeah, just EastEnders style. Right. Then it would be this. I suppose the modern thing would be Doctor Who meets Mrs. Brown's Boys or something. Um, oh, don't even. <laughs> I've said it now. <laughs> I've dared to speak it. It will come into being. Funnily enough, actually, so you think an episode of 2005 Who is 45 minutes long. Yep. So if you think about the first half of an episode being essentially this, 22 and a half minutes, in the middle of an epic Dalek story just doing sketches of what you would expect to see on TV at the time. In a sense, its closest ancestor is Bad Wolf. Of course, because actually, Bad Wolf... <laughs> the first half of Bad Wolf is a series of sketches where each member of the TARDIS crew is in a future version of a modern TV show. Right, no, you're quite right. Um, it's difficult to sort of... I haven't re-watched that, actually, since I watched it for the first time in 2005. I really don't know how well it stands up, because it's... It's very, it's very strange. Right, because it's just so off its time. Yeah. Um, it's like... like the, the pre-credits sequence is the kind of thing that, when viewers are watching it in 50 years, they won't understand the pre-credits gag what, at what all. What is the pre-credits gag? As the doctor wakes up in a chair and Davina McCall says, Doctor, oh, no, she, says, she says, like, um, Doctor, you're live on TV, please do not swear. And he says, you've got to be kidding me. Right, right. And that's obviously Big Brother to anyone now. But, like, that is going to be a thing that's going to need, like, fan explainers in 50 yeah. years. Right. You are live on channel 44,000. Please do not swear. You have got to be kidding me. So shall we talk about the Christmas specials? Yeah, because this is um, this is the other reason to do this now is having just done the five Doctors. This is kind of a coda to the specials talk that we started in that. that yeah, that absolutely. Episode. And I think um, I don't know much about the thinking behind the Christmas invasion. So there's a couple of... Because it's actually doing a lot 
of the story, right? It is. And, like, it's, it's easy very... to forget. It is the first Christmas episode of Doctor Who since the broadly failed one 40 years earlier. It's the first special that the new show has done in any sense. So it's the first time you're kind of being expected to watch Doctor Who outside the normal, normal thing. Yeah. Oh, well, um, actually, hang on, hang on. That's not quite true. A big deal was made about there was a Children in Need episode before Christmas Invasion that was just Rose and Tennant in the TARDIS, where oh. Tennant's going through regeneration trauma. No, you're quite right. I now remember it. Yes, yes, indeed. But, okay, but uh, putting that aside, and I imagine they must have filmed that at the same time of Christmas Invasion anyway, because I'm just really, what I'm unpacking yeah. here is like, actually, internally, what is going on at the BBC? Uh, did they yeah, did they decide to do really it know. before they knew Eccleston was leaving? Did they know Tennant was coming in and it was consciously... Cr- and it, the interesting thing is that... The, the, there's the, not a lot of info about how it came about. I think actually we can talk about the fact that it's, like, it's okay that you can't find it, because I think we can just right, wildly speculate. It, it, that, I mean, would we be Doctor Who fans if we did anything else? So what do we have about the production history of the Christmas Invasion? I mean, we have a lot about after it went into production, but not a lot about the, 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 the f- where the, where the motive to do it originally came right, from. Right, and like it's just there must be a Doctor Who magazine article about this somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I imagine someone will. Hopefully, someone can dig it up after we release this. But and it, I think it's just quite a curious decision. I mean, the Christmas Invasion itself is a bit of an. I, I think actually, it's a, it's a. I really enjoyed it a lot more on the rewatching than I can remember doing I, it. At I the love time. it. It's very strange. It's just a really odd episode. It's, it's, the doc, like you're introducing a new doctor by having him in bed for the whole episode, right? Uh, he comes up with a is it with a a, a Lion King reference, and I mean, I love that. I love that scene. I it's, love it's a that super, scene. Oh, it's a superb scene, and actually, in many ways, it sets a tone for certainly season two. I think. But it is interesting that he, like, yeah, when he comes round in rapid fire succession, he wrestles off like an Arthur Dent reference and a Lion King reference. And it's like, oh, this is the pop culture doctor. Right, 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 exactly. Um, Which again, you know, isn't the same thing, but this weird sort of uh, synthesis of Christmas episode and pop cultural references so that everybody feels at home and familiar. I think the notable thing the Christmas invasion did which future ones mostly did, but they've sort of moved away from later, is orientating it around Christmas Day itself. And the exper- yeah, which was something that Russell T. Davis was very adamant and about. And, like, specifically, like, you know, there are Christmas dinners. It looks like... So not everyone, is, a not everyone in the UK tree. celebrates Christmas, and not everyone who does, who does celebrate Christmas celebrates it in the same way. But I think it does a pretty good job of depicting what a kind of... I mean, it also works very well because of Rose. Yes, um, absolutely. Like a traditional Christmas dinner, you've got Rose and Jackie and that, like, very... Deme- like, as it was called by the Ninth Doctor, domestic right. uh, element. Uh, yeah, exactly, and um, which will happen again with one after the, what's that, what's one after Void of the Damned? Next Doctor. Oh, the next Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which of course ends with Doctor being invited to a Christmas dinner. It feels weird to me that uh, of course they have Wilf in Void of the Damned, but it almost feels weird to me that there is never a Donna Christmas episode. Oh, of course there is, but there's Runaway Bride, obviously. But the point is, but but Runaway Bride is she's not the companion there, no. and it's quite odd. The Runaway Bride is quite a fun episode, actually. Uh, and I, I think, uh, in general, I think the Christmas episodes, arguably he moves away from it in Voyager, in uh, Next Doctor. 
Yes, but the next Doctor is doing Victorian Christmas, Christmas exactly. as opposed to modern Christmas. Right, and he feels very Victorian. It's a very chocolate box. Yeah. And the end of time I, is the weird one. Because the end of the time, end of is, time not... is weird, but it's also split over two episodes and finishes on New Year. Yeah, but it's also not Christmassy at all in almost any of No, it's it. not. It's just about the death of David Tennant. Right, 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 right. And that's almost... And, and I say that advisedly, by the way. The death of David Tennant, <laughs> not the death of the Doctor. What? The, like... The point is that it is David Tennant leaving the role, not the point that it's a regeneration story. Right, and so it's saying goodbye to David Tennant. The, the, the running theme there, end of time aside, is that they were about Christmas in a way that yeah. the Feast of Stephen was not. Although, I don't know if that is the mistake that Feast of Stephen made, although there are the audience comments that it didn't seem Christmassy. But I think it's just that Russell T. Davis saw that the zeitgeist was at the place for a, what a Doctor Who Christmas special was, and that the TV environment in 1965 just wasn't. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it's interesting if we compare the Russell T. Davis. I, I, I think RTD's Christmas episodes are the best ones. I, I think Moffat yeah. never really had a handle on them. I really like Last Christmas. I think Moffat did the best with Last La- La- Christmas. La- and... Last Christmas is, is a masterpiece, probably where the characters, Clara should have left. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think most people are in agreement with that. I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, Twice Upon a Time is very, I really like, but Twice Upon a Time is a bit like The End of Time. It's not, it's got more Christmas than The End of Time, but it's not about Christmas. Exactly. But The Return of Doctor Mysterio isn't really, you know, the return of Doctor Mysterio isn't isn't something that Moffat wanted to make. Oh, really? Um, his last the Moffat um, the last special that he was going to do was the Husbands of River Song, right? Uh, to end River's story, and then he was like, "I've done all my Christmas specials." Right. But he wanted to maintain the tradition until Chibnall took over so that um, the BBC would still have them on the table when Chibnall took over. Right, right, right. right. And then, which is ironic given that Chibnall subsequently... <laughs> Chibnall has immediately stopped making them about Christmas. Right, exactly. Um, just going through them, we've got A Christmas Carol, which I like and you don't, I think, to recall. Yeah, I don't like it at all. I actually really like it, and I think I like to be watching. We won't go over that. I think maybe we could watch that at some point if we're really inclined to, although it isn't really focused yeah. on our podcast. But I like it. You don't. Um, but I'm just going, just kind of picking through them here. So, um, and actually, what I'm trying to remember is what my reaction was at the time. I remember really liking Christmas Carol at the time, and also I think it probably holds up. Um, I think it's very Christmassy. You can't really like. I think a Christmas Carol is consciously about Christmas in a way that the end of time wasn't, and actually, it's almost the most about. So the difference is, and this this is, I think, I have a, a really solid point here. A Christmas Carol is about the myth of the myth of Christmas, or a myth of Christmas. I mean, it, it literally is the plot of a Christmas Carol. But and that is a contrast to pretty much every other one, which is about people experiencing Christmas as a an event thing in their lives. Yeah, um, and that is just not what a Christmas Carol does and i think actually that reflects the movement between um rtd and moffat from a very character domestic if you like driven approach to who to one which was more about myths and i mean it fits really nice although it's technically doing a series six it fits really nicely into the series five fairy tale theme Mm. it fits into that i think really well um 
And actually, then the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe is consciously riffing off a fiction about. So I, I, I think it was just a, a sea change on what he wanted to do with them. I remember not really liking the Doctor, the Widow, and the Wardrobe, and I haven't it's really watched it. It's one of the worst episodes of Doctor Who. Right, I'm glad I'm not alone. I never really like it. It's bizarre. Um, the Snowmen, I, I struggle to remember anything about. Oh, I quite like the Snowmen. But I, yeah, but it's very, it's forgettable. And uh, like of the Matt Smith Christmas specials, I think it's head and shoulders. And also in that season, it's the best episode in that terrible season. I just, I really like the idea that the Great Intelligence started by making literal snowmen and they melted. So then he made yetis. Right. I just think that's really funny. That, that is quite good. I think it's, and they uh, don't overstate it in the episode. Right, but it's clearly the. Yeah, 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 okay, and that is quite good. Maybe we should regard the Yeti as a Christmas episode. Uh, the Time of the Doctor. Now, which one? Are, which one is the Time of the Doctor? Battle of Trenzalar. Right, right. Which is, and that's like the end of time. And although it's yeah. literally taking place at a place called Christmas. Yeah, there's like Stephen Moffat did not know how to make it about Christmas, so he just made up a town on called, Trenzalar called, called Christmas. Christmas. And again, it's not really about the end of time. Is is taking place at contemporary Christmas? In, there are the scenes Earth. in Clara's house with Matt Smith is naked in front of her granny and a tar- oh, turkey. I've, I've blocked those out of my mind. I'm not sure why yeah. you reminded me. I, I, I think basically my feeling is that Moffat was a lot worse than them. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I think it's really interesting that Chibnall has decided to not do Christmas specials. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, it's worth saying that when Moffat really stuck it, I think, was the episode that did that fairy tale thing to the absolute utmost and did The Doctor Meets Father Christmas. Right, uh, but wrapping it in some actually quite dark... Uh... Wrapping it up in some really dark stuff and some really interesting philosophical stuff about The Doctor and Father Christmas are both legends. Right. And... So why do they... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Last Christmas, stand out. Uh, but, but I think actually in many ways the problem is that although Moffat liked... The idea. I don't know that he did, actually. If I seem to recall when he was talking about the Christmas Carol that he was doing it more from obligation than desire. Right, for sure, but you said he kept them... Get- so I think that... Right, but that's the kind of thing. So he kind of likes... I think he might like that they are, exist as an institution. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. he doesn't personally enjoy doing them, and I think that comes across. And I think it's actually quite positive for the show that Chibnall just feels that he can do his own thing. I think they were a very RTD thing, and I think actually in many ways it's better for the show if the showrunners see it. Tyler Swick is just reminding me, incidentally, The Unquiet Dead also happened at Christmas, but that clues to the Yes, of course. So The Unquiet Dead, I think, is relevant here to something that I wanted to say. Go on. Which is that when we were talking about The Five Doctors, um, I said that they represented a sort of a confidence that Doctor Who was important to a wider world and these specials are kind of the reverse of that these specials are about something in the wider world that is so important it should be reflected in doctor who and the unquiet dead i think sort of demonstrates that to the utmost because it doesn't need to be about christmas and it still thinks it should be about christmas i'm not quite sure i'm following your point well the doctor who can go anywhere anywhere sure there is no reason at all for there to be a story set at Christmas with Christmassy things. Right, yes, okay, sure. But uh, it is an important enough part of wider culture right, right. 
that it has to be represented in Doctor Who. Yeah, okay. No, I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, I, and I think that's quite interesting because, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, the Christmas is a very widely celebrated hol- holiday, especially here in the UK where we don't have Thanksgiving or whatever. So, um, so for people who do celebrate it, it's a really big deal. But we live in a UK that's like a diverse country in which a decent number of people in this country don't celebrate Christmas. Or, or celebrate it in different ways. Yeah, and of course, the Doctor is travelling with Yaz, who is not Christian. Precisely. No, no, not that only Christians celebrate Christmas in this country, but... No, indeed. Uh, and, like, you know, uh, there are um, Jewish people who have Hanukkah, Bush, you know, and, and, and I think negotiating the relationship to not being uh, from a culture that celebrates Christmas in a Chris- in a culture that celebrates Christmas, which is a, ultimately a, Chris- a Christian culture. I think it's a difficult thing that different people navigate in different ways. Because the, th- the weird thing, actually, is the insistence that happened more with Moffat Who, actually. The weird insistence that co- that Christmas was like something that would survive... to the universe, yeah. Right. And that actually says some really weird things. Like, why is it that that survives? Why? Because you're saying something about... Obviously, there's always a kind of a fig leaf about how modern or how contemporary, non-contemporary humans can feel. But it feels really weird. I, I mean, Russell T. Davis kind of directly lampshades this in Voyage of the Dam, doesn't he? With how the the future society is getting Christmas really wrong. Right, but and that's quite fun because you can sort of see why they might be like interested in Christmas conceptually because it's the thing that they do on Earth, but they are complete. And so it's being treated as what it kind of should be treated as, which is a local planetary tradition that is the winter celebration of this kind of year, but that they are kind of getting wrong. That's fun. Yeah. But like um, A Christmas Carol just has Christmas as a universal cultural constant that I don't think if you unpack that notion is a bit problematic. And I just think it's quite interesting that at a time when Doctor Who uh, rightly or not is being kind of, that people's impression of Chibnall is that he's maybe making the show slightly more diverse. I just found that interesting. Is it, is it saying something about the way Doctor Who is evolving? Because New, Year, New Year's Day actually it's got its own identity. So I, so I think the New Year's Day does have a cultural resonance as well, right? I mean, mm. um, and actually, maybe it's got one that's more... More in keeping with Doctor Who. Right, actually. Because it's I, about something temporal. Right, it's it's temporal, it's about change. I mean, it's a really great... I mean, it's no coincidence that the end of time was... Yeah, exactly. On New Year's Day, and uh, it, of course, resolution is called resolution. Resolution. Right. Although that, that, that's quite a... That's a pun, because it's also... The resolution to Ryan's issues with his dad. Sure, sure, and and but and then like revolution, which is this year's, which is special, riffing on resolution, which is riffing on resolution. So I'm kind of interested to see where they go with that. I don't. I, I, it's not clear to me from the trailer that there is any, any particular relevance to this time period at all in revolution. No, I don't think. I, I don't think. I almost, I think that's kind of a missed opportunity. I think you could do. Like, there's so much stuff you could do about. A new New Year's Day. Imagine a companion who says that they want to do New Year's Day on a hundred different planets. Doesn't River Song almost literally say that at one point? Yeah, I mean, it, because it's a very natural idea. Yeah, I actually think that the husbands of River Song would work better if it was about New Year than Christmas. 
Like the husbands of River Song, if they were at a New Year's party, and you've got the whole thing about like New Year's dates and romance. Oh yeah, and... yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's much more. Of a new, it, there's a lot more legs there in New Year's, and you could have the kiss thing, and it, it just has. It and just and has... then what? Like, what if their last day on Dubillium had been New Year's Eve? Right, right, right. Which was <sighs> so. You know, so what I'm saying, what are we saying about like um, these things in culture that Doctor Who feels it has to reflect? There's really a new Who thing. Classic Who is so much more alien that I can't really imagine Classic Who going... I mean, obviously, yes, The Feast of Stephen in 1965 did a Christmas special. Yes, I get that. But historical events, battles and wars and, you know, events in history, it goes, these are important and our show will reflect them. But contemporary culture, it like it rarely commented on, and right. there isn't any sort of seasonally set classic Doctor Who apart from the Feast of Stephen, or anything that is about like modern times. And the Unit Era, kind of, but the Unit Era is kind of like a Black Mirror modernity. That's not. The one time, I think, before New Who, where something was so culturally important that Doctor Who mimicked it and reflected it back, is the TV movie and its fixation on the coming millennium. Yes, that is true. Um, it is very because, much... Not- as we pointed out when we discussed the TV movie, there is literally no reason why Midnight on New Year 1999 should have anything to do with the plot. Right, but it... It has to be because of how much of a big deal it was. Yeah. And remember, it didn't come out in 1999. It came out in 1996. Yeah, but that, I think, reflects that millenarian anticipation that existed yeah. in, in that, in, at, that, at that time. Um, the, the only other seasonal classic episode is K9 and Company, set at Christmas. Oh, it's quite fun. Um, maybe maybe we'll do a K9 and Company episode one day. Fun. In fact, maybe we should, because in the light of Sarah Jane Adventures, it actually becomes quite interesting. I'd be up for a, a little a little tour for that kind of thing. Um, so specials. Yeah, I mean, I just... I'm quite sad that Feast of Stephen didn't set a precedent because there are certain other parts in Doctor Who history where I feel like one would have gone down really well. Chief among have them... Have they done a unit era Christmas episode yet? Because if no, not... No, and I, that, 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 that is that uh, a thing I'm must... about to get to. Right, go uh, on. In fact, that was one of the first things that I wanted to talk about. Pertwee, Exile on Earth, unit Christmas. I mean, I can really imagine it, is the thing. I, I can perfectly imagine it. I can imagine Pertwee being charmingly grumpy about the whole thing, Joe being excessively festive and wearing a silly hat with a bell the whole way through, Mike and Benton sort of humouring her, the Brigadier being sort of bemused by it all. But, I can but, just imagine it so clearly. Sport, I, can imagine, I can imagine the, Bri- the Brigadier and the Doctor shoving a cracker. And the, the the Delgado Master, it would be something to do with the Delgado Master, <sighs> yes. and he'd fail, and he'd never yeah. be a big risk. It would be sort of a kind of like, um, like almost more of a comical dictatorship. He'd be get a... foiled, and then the Doctor would like pull a cracker with him at the end or something. Yes, almost, or there'd be a, somehow a way for him to be at the, the Christmas feast table. 
but like, like tied, tied up, up or something. something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, and he's uh, and he's snarking. But it's all good fun. Yeah, I, I think that would have been superb. Um, and a real shame we didn't get that. And someone should write it for Big Finish clearly, but it wouldn't be the same. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, just, I, I think I, that is something I would have loved to see. And I don't even like the unit era. No, for sure. But I think it would have been really interesting. I, other doctors, I think, who it would have worked well with is um, Peter Davison. I think. Yeah, so Davison's probably the next one that comes to mind because of the whole thing of him having a really crowded TARDIS that kind of bullies him a bit. Right. And his, the, the atmosphere in his TARDIS is a lot like the family being home for Christmas anyway. Right, oh, I like that, I like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, oh, you have Chameleon in a Christmas hat. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh. To it, Turlo just being like, what? What is this? Why are you doing this weird tradition? Right, because it feels he's not. Which means I think we get an excuse to explain Christmas traditions to Turlo. Superb. But of but Teg- it- Tegan would be the one explaining it in a really like annoyed that Turlo is bringing the mood down way, and the Doctor would just be like, "Can the children please stop arguing? I need another sherry." Uh, but it doesn't work at all with say Colin Baker, right? Like, like you, you. I, I, I can't, my brain is physically reviling from I, the idea Yeah, of it's Bay. like, that one is a hard one to imagine, which is weird, because in the expanded universe, there are more Christmas specials for Colin Baker than any other Doctor. I mean... <laughs> and that sounds weird until I say one word. Go on. Pantomime. Okay, sure. I think it's just because of the quite sinister atmosphere between him and Perry. The, the Christmas thing I remind of most is EastEnders. <laughs> so dimensions in time, but Christmas. Ah, oh, brilliant stuff. It doesn't really work with the Seventh Doctor unless you are deliberately doing something deconstructive where they revisit like an important family Christmas for Ace that went horribly wrong. And, it's and a- do, just like I like I cannot imagine a do- the Seventh Doctor and Ace doing Christmas unless it is about unpacking Ace's trauma. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, I agree. Um- <laughs> Like, I think you could almost do, there's something interesting there, but you'd have to think about it very carefully. And, and um, you did just because we've, te- we've talked about all but the other, oh, all sure, but a couple of them now. Uh, so, I mean, the, the TV movie is kind of festive already. Yeah, I don't not- think we really need to dig into that. The second Doctor, it's not a hugely natural fit, except for the one moment that I can picture is them stepping out the TARDIS and wondering where they are, and then the Doctor going, Oh, oh, oh Jamie, it's Christmas! Oh, oh. And being and then, very jolly about it. And, and then Jamie being out, being like, he ah, got out his Christ- recorder and play a Christmas carol. And then Jamie doing some like traditional Scottish Christmassy things. Oh, you could do you could do a Scot well Hog the Hogsmanet. You know, yeah, exactly. You, 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 that's what you'd do with them. The fourth doctor's just too alien. Well, it, it would just be weird, wouldn't it? Uh, what you would what you could get there is an incredibly bizarre Gallifrey not Christmas with him and Romana. Yes, you know, yes. Like, like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Christmas, but it clearly would be, and it would because they could, could they could reunite with Leela as well. So you'd have like a, un, a USP, right? Right, exactly. Um, oh, brilliant! So the, it would be some sort of like the Feast of Rassilon. Of course, it would be <gasps> the, the Feast of Rassilon. <laughs> That's what it would be. You've got an episode title. I, in fact, I, I now that's so obvious. I feel like someone has done it. Yes, they have. Brilliant. Okay, but what you would do 
is have it on the Feast of Rathalon, which wouldn't happen to be on Christmas, but it, yeah. it clearly would look like Christmas. And I, I, I just think it would be brilliant, you know? Like, um, so I think that's every Doctor apart from the one Doctor who didn't get a Christmas special, which is nine. Uh, excepting for he, the Yeah, w- the Unquiet war, war Dead kind and, of works. Yeah, I guess you could kind of see that as his, but he doesn't really get a proper one. I, I almost don't think I could see it. It's hard to imagine, like, Eccleston. No, it's like, yeah. Because no, the whole point of the Christmas invasion is that the domestic family Christmas, the fact that the 10th Doctor does domestic is is a turning point. Right. Like exactly. So I just think... So I, the 9th Doctor can't have done it beforehand or the Christmas invasion loses its point. Yes, exactly. Because the climax of the Christmas invasion isn't the sword fight with the leader of the Sycorax. It's the fact that he it's the the big musical montage where he goes into the TARDIS wardrobe, finds a new costume and goes for Christmas dinner. Yeah, absolutely it is. That's the heart in every sense of the episode. And then it snows. Ash from a burning spaceship. I, I think the ninth doctor is the doctor who's too traumatized to do Christmas that year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm now just imagining the war doctor Christmas. <laughs> Christmas I'd love to do a War, war Doctor Christmas. <laughs> what, what would you do for the War Doctor Christmas? I'd do, like, um, the Dalek Invasion of Christmas. I'd do the Daleks, like, destroying December the 25th. As a concept. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, just, like, what I would have is that, like, um, it's become this date that's like a fixed battle point and they keep reliving it and slowly over time it turns into like the most like dreaded date in the whole like like cycle of the universe is that like this is the date when the time war always gets to its absolute worst and it gets worse and worse and worse with each iteration and it's like everyone dreads that day right right and then it's uh (gasps) oh i just i all i want flick is a dalek in a christmas hat (laughs) <laughs> That's uh, all I want. I'm gonna spend my Christmas with a Dalek And hug him underneath the mistletoe And if he's very nice, I'll feed him sugar spice And hang a Christmas stocking from his big left toe Alright, thanks for listening. Uh, we are going to be releasing our next episode literally just after uh, Revolution of the Daleks finishes, so you can roll straight in from big budget BBC production Doctor Who and listen to our amateur podcast on the internet. In that episode, we will be discussing the Leisure Hive, which doesn't have any particular seasonal relevance at all, but that's what we're starting the next season with. After that, we'll be returning to a schedule. We're probably going to be mixing it up a bit, but we'll have more for you that um, in the following time. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting you to watch an episode where three parts are missing now that now that I've inducted you. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, actually, as of speaking, we've already recorded the Leisure Time Hive episode, so this is some sort of timey, wimey, wibbly wobbly, Christmassy, Christmassy. <laughs> All right, uh, I have been Renna. I've been Felicia, and this has been Relative Digressions or Decorations, if you like. Incidentally, go on. A happy Christmas to all of you at home. Cheers.
time to do some judicious Googling, I think. And then act like I knew it beforehand. <laughs> we'll fix this in post. 